Once again, I want to say good morning to you, Crosspoint. Welcome. Welcome to those who are listening on the internet. We're glad to have you join us today. We are in a series entitled The Miracle of Mercy. And if you haven't joined a growth group, like Tony said, you need to do so today. There is no greater joy, there is no greater thrill than to be used by God for a purpose that is greater than yourself. If you have never felt the feeling that comes from being used by God, then I feel sad for you. You do not know what you are missing out on. You were made for more than just living for you. You were shaped to serve. Hence, the title of our message this morning. God can use, what's the next word? Anybody. Do you see the exclamation mark at the end of that? I almost made it a question mark. LV says, no, it's not, can God use anybody? See, that's sort of a negative. That's asking a question. I want to put it in the positive. God can use anybody, and that means you. If God can use the Apostle Paul, Saul before he was Paul, then he can use anybody. In Romans 6, verse 13, that same Apostle will encourage us to get all in. When he made the switch, he went all in. He writes in Romans 6, verse 13, Give yourselves completely to God. Paul says, I'm all in. Every part of you, I want you to be all in, he says. Why? Because you've been brought from death to what? Life. I was on my way to hell, now I'm on my way to heaven. And because of that, I now want to be used by God for doing good and for His righteous purposes. You know, a lot of people think, oh, God can never use me. Because they feel either one or two things. Disqualified because of a checkered past. People say, oh, Bruce, no, God can't use me. You don't know my background. You don't know what I've done. Well, you'd be wrong in concluding that. Some people feel unqualified because of a lack of talent. Oh, Bruce, I, there, there's so many more people qualified than me. There are ten talent people out there. I'm just a one-talent purpose person. But what did God tell the one-talent person to do? Use your one talent. Don't bury it. So if you're ten or you're one, or somewhere in between, God wants to use you. A look at the Apostle Paul's life says God can use anybody. He spread Christianity throughout the Roman world. And wherever he went, he established churches. Now, he went through a lot of pain to do this. He even ended up in prison. God had to slow him down. He says, you need some prison time so you can write. And he writes 13 books of the New Testament. Aren't you glad for the Apostle Paul? Who had a past, a checkered past, but said, okay, God, if you'll take me by your mercy... I'll be used by you. He was an amazing man with a very bad past. Now, Paul wants to give us his secrets for staying usable. And all of this is going to come from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 1-8. through 8. You can take out your Bibles or your 
iPads or your phones that if you have an app on it. Or you can look right up here on the screen. This comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 1 to 18. That's going to be our text for today, the reading of God's Word. He says, the first secret for staying usable is this. Never forget, it's all about God's mercy. Don't forget that. Chapter 4, verse 1. God in His, what's the next word? Mercy. Say it with me. Mercy has given us this ministry. So Paul says, God in His mercy gave me a ministry and, what's the next word? A work to do. Not because Paul was something special, but God in His mercy said, you know what, I know you used to kill Christians. I'm going to save you anyway. In my mercy, now I'm going to put you to work for doing kingdom things. You were created to make a contribution, folks. You were made to create a a contribution with your life. You're not here just to take up space and use up resources and die and then leave the world a, a worse off place. You were here to make a difference for God and for His people. However, your worth and your work have nothing to do with one another. See, as you do ministry, as you serve in life, you're going to make mistakes. Every preacher does, every elder does, every deacon does, every member does. And you know what? Even though you're trying to serve God and faithfully serve Him in ministry, you will fall short. But you know what God's going to do for you? He's going to extend His mercy. And so he says, kids, extend mercy to one another. Because you're going to need mercy. Don't burn the bridge that you're going to have to walk across someday. Show mercy to one another. God shows mercy to all of us. Now let's take a look again at the definition we are using for mercy. Look up here on the screen. Mercy. It is undeserved forgiveness and unearned kindness. When somebody forgives you, when you don't deserve it, that's called mercy. When somebody does something and extends a kindness to you that you haven't earned, that is called mercy. Paul had a terrible past, and he's brutally honest about it. If Paul were alive today, when he was in his Saul stage of life, he probably would have been a member, probably the leader of ISIS, going around killing Christians. I mean, that, that would have just satisfied him to know him. He loved to kill Christians. First Timothy chapter 1, and verse 12, Paul reminds Timothy of his former life, and he starts off by thanking Christ Jesus. Whenever you read Christ Jesus, the Christ part refers to his deity. And the Jesus part refers to his humanity. Christ Jesus, because he trusted me and gave me this work of serving him. Now, Timothy, in the past, I spoke against Christ, the Messiah, the King. And I persecuted him and did all kinds of things to hurt him. Well, how did he do that? And I see the hands of the parents in our audience this morning. If you have children, would you raise your hand? Okay. Very good. 
if I wanted to really get to you and hurt you in a horrible way, one of the worst ways I could hurt you would be to hurt who? Your kids or your grandkids. To speak evil of them, to harm them, to persecute them brutally like Saul of Tarsus did. And yet, how did God treat this Saul of Tarsus? Look at the latter part of the verse. But God showed me what? Mercy. If somebody hurt your kids, oh, I could never, I could never show mercy to anyone that hurt my kids. Look what God did to Saul of Tarsus. He showed mercy. Galatians 1, 13, he reminds the Galatian church, you know what I was like? How I violently persecuted Christians. And I did my best to get rid of them. But then something happened. Watch this. For it pleased God in His kindness to choose me and call me, of all people, to call me even before I was born. Did you see that video this morning? Called before He was born. Where would we be today if the Apostle Paul was aborted? You ever thought about that? Who did Paul reach? He reached Europe. The Europeans. All over Macedonia. And then later, hundreds of years later, where did they migrate to? America. What if the Apostle Paul had been aborted by his mother? You and I wouldn't have 13 books of the New Testament. You and I probably would not be here. Would you agree with me that every abortion stops a beating heart? God has plans for every child in the womb. Yeah, but we, it was an accident. It was a mistake. We, we, we didn't intend on having kids. There are no mistaken kids there may be (laughs) some parents who are mistaken but God wants every child that child of yours was not an accident God loves that child has plans for that child a future for that child don't be selfish and in that heartbeat I mean if, if you're not ready for children I'm mature enough for children there are people who will adopt that child and give it a good home. It's not asking that much, folks. Even before I was born, Paul concludes, what undeserved mercy. See, your past does not got to preclude your future. Now, let me ask you, if God only used perfect people, how many people would God use? Zero. Let me made a list here. Abraham was a fearful liar. Jacob was a chronic deceiver. Leah was unattractive. Joseph was abused. Rahab a prostitute. Gideon was poor. Samson was a reckless codependent. I mean, if you read the story of Samson, you've got to say, God, I think you made a mistake in using this guy. God says, uh-uh. I can use even this guy. Jonah was reluctant. Elijah was suicidal. Naomi. Some of you say, well, I'm just an elderly widow. Naomi was an elderly widow, and God used her. Read the book of Ruth. Jeremiah suffered from chronic depression. 
David had an affair and then killed his mistress's husband. John the Baptist was eccentric. I mean, read about his life. I mean, locusts and wild honey. Ugh. Well, honey is not so bad, but locusts? Peter was impulsive. Martha was a worrier. The Samaritan woman had several failed marriages and a live-in at the time that Jesus met her. Zacchaeus had been an unethical scam artist. Thomas had his doubts. Timothy was timid. Moses, David, and Paul were all guilty of the same crime of murder. Now, what is your excuse as to why you think God can't use you? You, you've, you heard the list. What is your excuse? What is your reason why God can't use you? I want you to write this down. Look up here on the screen. Every saint has a past, and every sinner has a future. Write that down. For some of you who are reluctant to serve, you need to write that down and say, God can't use me. Every saint has a past, and every sinner has a future. So number one, never forget it's all about God's mercy. It starts with His mercy. It ends with His mercy. And then number two, Paul says, if you want to be successful in ministry, then you need to be real. Be real. Be yourself. God did not create you to be somebody else. You know, we all start off as originals and end up carbon copies of everybody else because we just want to fit in. You know, it's kind of go to the way of the world. They're doing it, so we'll do it. No, that's not the way to go. Paul will say in 2 Corinthians 4, 2, we don't try to trick anyone, and we don't twist the Word of God. Instead, we teach the truth plainly, showing everyone who we really are. You want to know about my past? You know what I've done? I'll tell you all about it. Then they can know in our, their hearts what kind of people we are in God's sight. Paul says, what you see is what you get. I'm an open book. And then he will remind us that we don't have to be fearful if we're children of God because we have a spirit in us in Romans 8.15. The spirit we receive does not make us slaves again to fear. Oh, what's the world going to think? What are they going to think? Am I going to fit in? No, that's fear. It makes us children of God. And so Paul says when you understand that you're a child of God, you don't have to fear anymore. And you don't have to fake it and to pretend to be somebody who you're not. God's going to love you no matter what. So remember it's His mercy. Paul says, be real. But number three, if you want to be successful, remember it's not about you. And it's not about me. I need that reminder from time to time. How about you? Like maybe daily. It's it's not about me. It's not about you. Paul puts it like this in verse 5. Our message is not about ourselves. It is about who? Jesus Christ, the human Jesus, the King Jesus, the deity Jesus as Lord. We are merely your servants. For whose sake? My sake? Your sake? No. Jesus' sake. That's why we do it. Paul says, you know, I'm not preaching to you Corinthians. I'm not teaching you Corinthians at no cost to you, by the way, because I'm a tent maker. I'm not doing it to receive the Corinthian trophy or a pat on the back. I'm doing it for Christ's sake. See, when you forget why you're doing it, it becomes about you. And then you start taking everything personally. You either get bitter from your problems 
or you get prideful from your blessings. Our society will tell you, however, it is all about you. You deserve a break today. So get up and get away. I'm not going to McDonald's today, but... But the world will tell you, you deserve it. But you know what? You are not the center of the universe. Who is? God. It's about Him. He is the center. I need that reminder on a daily basis. And God is not so much interested in what you do, but why you do it. But why you do it. In other words, what is your motivation? Uh, you know, I've noticed in new believers, uh, when they first start serving, they, they have the right motivation. They have the right heart. They have the right passion. Man, Christ saved me. I was on my way to hell, but he turned me around and put me into the kingdom of light, and I'm going to heaven now, and out of gratitude, I just want to serve him. Have you noticed that about new believers? But then as time kind of goes by, they, the motivation changes a little bit. And some people start serving maybe to get approval. Oh, so-and-so noticed me when I served, and they gave me a pat on the back, a little approval, and that, that's pretty cool. Or maybe you served, and the whole church stood up and applauded. Oh, some people serve for the applause. And some people serve to feel important. Oh, yeah, I got my church key this week. You got a church key? You don't have a church key? Oh, I got a church key. Not everyone gets a church key. I'm pretty important. And guess what happens? All of a sudden, it becomes about us again, right? Who is it about? Us or Him? It's about Him. And let us never forget that. Paul says it like this, it is for Jesus' sake, not ours. And then verse 7, go to the next verse. He describes us as what? Clay jars. We're, we're clay jars. Are clay jars up to very much? What happens if I had a clay jar here and I dropped it on the floor? It would probably shatter into a million pieces, right? Clay jars, that's what we are. I mean, you could just bump it against something a little too hard and it cracks. And I'm sitting here looking at a bunch of crack pots. <laughs> but that's who we are, right? But here's the point he's trying to make. Guys, the power didn't come from us. Where does it come from? We're clay jars. The real power comes from God and not from us. And so Paul says, I admit I'm a crackpot. You admit you're a crackpot and God's power shows up. Amen? That's, that's who we are. We're just clay jars. Number four, never forget it's His mercy. Be real. Remember, it's not about me. But number four, and this one's going to get tough. Use your pain to help others. Oh, I want God to use my strengths. I'm good at this, I'm good at that. Oh, but my pain, my hurts. Yeah, even if it hurts ministry, sometimes God wants to use that. He'll use your strengths, but he'll use your weaknesses as well. Paul went through enormous pain in his life to serve others. Uh, Look at his testimony here in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 23. I have worked much harder been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Watch this. Five times I received 39 lashes. What's the math, Mike? How many lashes would he have on his back? Five times 39? What is that? 195? 
Okay. Paul, are you the real deal? Are you really doing this for Christ's sake, or is it about you, Paul? Paul says, oh, just a minute, just a minute. Takes off his shirt. Shows his back. 195 lashes. Five times. Paul's the real deal, right? How many of you got stripes to show? You know, yesterday we had a guest speaker here, um, Jacob Elin. And uh, he made a statement. We went through the book of Hebrews. And he made a statement yesterday. He said, you know what? I've been to a lot of countries in the world, and believe me, you think you got it hard here as Christians? This is the easiest country in the world to be a Christian. Can I see anybody's back that has been beaten five times? Even one time for the cause of Christ. He says it's much tougher on Christians outside of our, con- our, our country. I was talking to somebody in our Bible class this morning. I said, you know, um, we haven't suffered. I mean, what, what, what does it cost us if we want to share the gospel? Have you ever done door knocking? You know, we, we used to do that. Just cold, walk up to a door, hi, my name is so-and-so, we're from this church down the street, and we were just wondering if you'd be interested in studying the Bible. Wham! Door slammed in my face. Oh, suffering for Jesus. I mean, when I read that, I felt so ashamed. Oh, I got my feelings here. I'm never going to share the gospel again. I'm not even going to try. Look at look what happened, Jesus, to me. Five times I received 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. That would be eerie, right? I have been constantly on the move. When my church goes home at night to their family to eat dinner and watch television. I don't know if they had TV back then, but whatever they did. I'm constantly on the move. I'm living out of a suitcase, Paul says. Next verse. I have been in danger from rivers, from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brethren. It's a dangerous thing to be Paul, isn't it? And yet, he's doing this for us. I have often gone without sleep. Oh, our service. We moved our service from 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock because people says, oh, I'd come if you just did it at 10 o'clock. Now they say, could you move it to noon? Get out of here. I have often gone without sleep. <laughs> I have known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Look at all those churches he planted. He's writing them letters. He's worrying. He's praying. He's saying, God, I'm concerned for all these people. I want them to stay faithful. You think you got problems? Did you just hear what Paul went through? If we had Brother Paul here today, Brother Paul, come on up. I just want to introduce you to the Crosspoint Christian Church. Folks, here's the Apostle Paul. Paul, got a few questions. Why do you serve? Well, why do you serve Jesus? Paul would get up and say, well, the reason I put up with this pain and go through all of that is because I just want heaven to be a fuller place. I love Jesus so much out of gratitude. I'm willing to put up with the pain and the problems of life because I'm all in for Jesus. How many of you are all in like Paul? I am all 
in for Jesus. Back to the screen. Verse 8. We often suffer, but we're never crushed. Even when we don't know what to do, we never give up. In times of trouble, God is with us. And when we are knocked down, we get up again and again and again. Because Paul was knocked down a whole bunch of times, wasn't he? But he kept getting up. You're never a failure until you quit. Paul went through all that suffering. And as you go through life, you're going to go through some pain. As you minister for Jesus, there's going to be some suffering. But Paul says, don't quit. That would be his message today. Verse 15a, all these sufferings of ours are for whose benefit, folks? Your benefit. Paul says, I put up with this for your benefit. There's three kinds of sufferings in life. There is suffering from, well, suffering we bring on ourselves, you know. We, um, we eat the wrong foods, we don't diet, we don't exercise, and, um, you know, our bodies break down. And we say, oh, I'm suffering, my body. We brought it on ourselves for the most part. Most of life, we bring these problems on ourselves. Or, or suffering for doing stupid stuff, like, you know, maybe... Um, making a bad decision or, or a bad investment and, and you lose all your savings. Um, or maybe you say something stupid and you ruin a relationship. These are what I call sufferings that we bring on ourselves. And then there is another kind of suffering. It's called innocent suffering. Uh, due to no fault of your own, maybe some of you were abused as children. Maybe some of you have been raped. Some of you have been... Uh, abandoned. Uh, some of you may have been scammed out of your money, or a thief just came in and stole. You didn't do anything wrong, but you've been mistreated by somebody else. That's innocent suffering. And God can use that too, by the way. But the highest form of suffering is what we call redemptive suffering. That's when you deliberately choose to put up with the pain and the problems of others in order to help them. You deliberately choose to put up with the pain and the problems of others in order to help them. That's huge. And isn't that exactly what Jesus Christ did for us? Think about it. When he was hanging on the cross, was he dying for his sins or for ours? He hadn't done anything wrong. He was dying for us. He could have called 10,000 angels, right? Okay, I'm, I'm tired of this. This pain is too much. I don't want it anymore. No, he did it for us. He put up with that pain because of us. So, all these sufferings are for your benefit. And the more of you who are one to Christ, the more there are to thank him for his great mercy. And the more get, or, or the more God gets glory. Now, he moves on to verse 16, and he says this. This is why we never give up. Yeah, it's tough. It's not easy. But this is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying. The word for dying there in the Greek, it carries with the idea of decaying or wasting away. 
let's face it, we can't stop the aging process no matter how many Botox injections that we receive. But you know what we can do? We can keep our spirits from aging. Even though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being what? Renewed every day. For our present troubles are quite small. And they won't last very long. Yet they produce for us an immeasurably great glory that will last forever. So, one last piece of advice from the Apostle Paul. If you want to stay usable, get usable and stay usable. You need this last perspective. Number five, stay focused on eternity. Stay focused on eternity. Verse 17, he says, and this always blows my mind every time I read this, these little troubles... Yeah, things like beatings and torture and shipwrecks. Little troubles. Notice what he's calling little troubles. Prisonments are getting us ready for an eternal glory that will make all our troubles seem like nothing. On your worst day, and you're going to have bad days in life, on your worst day, you need to tell yourself, It does get better than this. And as you go through life, you're going to have some really, really good days. You're going to have some great, fantastic days. And on the best day of your life, you know what I want you to tell yourself? It does get better than this. Everybody say that with me. It does get better than this. That's all Paul's saying is, I've got an eternal perspective. In eternity, it's going to be perfect. You're going through suffering now. I'm going through suffering now. Paul went through suffering. All the saints who went before us, read Hebrews chapter 11. Those are the faithful hall of fame that we looked at yesterday in the men's group. They went through suffering, but it did get better for them because now they're in the presence of the Lord. Now they took that baton and they passed it on to us and says, now you run your race. We've run ours. We stayed faithful. Now it's your turn to run, church. Pass the baton on to you. Oh, but it's hard. It hurts. Ah. Yeah, I know. It does get better than this. Little troubles, he calls them. You've got to have the right perspective. And the right perspective is an eternal perspective. If you don't, you're, you're going to be overwhelmed by your problems. But when you understand how short life is compared to eternity, the problems that we are facing today are really small potatoes. Verse 18, he says, and here he wraps up his, his, um, his response to the sufferings of life. So, we don't look at the troubles we can see right now. See, that's a choice, isn't it? You can choose to look at your troubles that you see right now, or, or rather, he says, we look forward to what we have not yet seen. For the troubles we see will soon be over. I don't care if you live to be a hundred years old, but the joys to come will last forever. A hundred years. Oh, that's a long life. Compared to eternity, it's nothing. It's a vapor. It's a breath. Keep that perspective. There are three motivations in life. There's internal motivations. You know, I want to be happy, and so I do things that make me happy. Or I want to be uh, popular, so I'll do things that make me popular. That's sort of an internal 
motivation. Uh, I want to be rich and famous, and so I do things that make me rich and famous. I want to be loved, so I do things that will make me... Those are internal. But then there's an external motivation. Um, if you've got a job and you're afraid of getting fired, you show up, right, on time. And you don't miss a whole lot of work because, you know, that's a, it's an external fear. Or maybe, maybe it's not even that. Maybe it's you want a promotion. So you put in overtime and extra time and you go the extra mile and, and you want that. That's sort of the carrot and the stick. You're doing it to please someone. That's an external motivation. But the highest motivation in life really is, Paul says, the eternal motivation. It's being motivated by knowing that this life will soon be over, and it's simply a test getting me ready for heaven. Because if you have any other perspective than an eternal perspective, then your problems are going to overwhelm you in life. Now, here's what I believe the key to staying focused is all about. Look up here on the screen. It's small groups, or we call them here at Crosspoint growth groups. Did you know that Paul never went anywhere without his small group. He had a team of support. Paul never did anything without his support team. And, and, and the Ecclesiastes writer will say in chapter 4 and verse 12, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back. That's support, isn't it? And conquer. And then he goes on to say, and three people, hey, that's a small group. <laughs> three people are even better. For a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. You need a support system. If you're not in a growth group, you need to be in a growth group. Jesus himself will say in Matthew 18, 20, For wherever two or three come together, again, a small group, in my name, I will be with them. And so I would urge you today to do two things. Number one, when the service is over, Follow Vicky out to the guest services booth and pick up your study guide. They're only $8. You're going to need one of these to help you grow. It would be the best $8 you spend. But number two, open your bulletin this morning and choose a growth group to be in. We've got several meeting today and several that meet throughout the week. For your own growth, you need this. Let me close by asking two questions. Question number one here on the screen. Do you want your life to be used by God? And number two, Are you ready to experience the miracle of mercy in your own life? Let's pray about it. As I close with prayer this morning, I want to ask you the question we started with. Are you all in? When, when, When Saul became Paul, he went all in. Now, if you want to become like him, committed, just say, God, I'm all in today. I, I'm, I'm not going to be a casual Christian anymore. Say, dear God, thank you for your mercy, first of all, because it's all about mercy. Starts with mercy, ends with mercy. I, I get that. And I want to fully understand it better, so I want to be in a growth group. And I want to stop living for myself. It's not all about me, so I want to start being used by you for the purpose that is greater than me. I admit I've been afraid even to listen to you and do what you've called me to do because of the fears. I don't want to be fearful anymore. I am your child. Remind me of that. And I'm not going to let the past hold me back. I'm all in. Father, 
If anyone prayed that prayer today, give them the strength that your Holy Spirit has promised and help them to get connected with people that can support them and be supported by them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.